Hey everybody, on this episode of Dudes of Kung Fu, uh, Alex and I will uh, break down the Muk Jong Jong, the Wing Chun's wooden man, and we'll tell all the deep dark secrets about it. So sit back and enjoy. And every day, I practice martial arts. Hello everybody, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of... Dudes of Kung Fu. All right, how you doing, Alex? I'm doing really well. I just need to let the audience know that if they occasionally hear some random 80s uh, montage music in the background, that's because we have our monthly fight class here at City Wing Chun, and it's called the Push It to the Limit class. And my assistant, Ethan... Push it, it, push it, push it. Yeah, push it to the limit. That's actually that, that song, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Turkish Star Wars video on YouTube done to the montage song of Push It to the Limit. Um, which is actually a song that is from the original Scarface film. Uh, and and basically they, they do a, a fight class and a conditioning class all to the tunes of iconic 80s action movie songs. So you might hear Eye of the Tiger. You might hear, uh, you know, There's No Easy Way Out from Rocky IV. You know, so wow. if, you, if you hear the faint din of 80s music or whatever, that's not some kind of digital cross wires going on that is actually going on right here and it's also st patrick's day here in manhattan so who knows what the hell might happen uh some drunk guys might decide to walk up here and and, uh start causing trouble but uh we'll see we'll see how are things with you man things are well i have a a little kung fu weekend going on with my friends and family um i got guys in from all over and um really excited everybody's down in my basement right now uh (laughs) Everybody look at this way. Everybody's down in my basement right now, swinging their poles around. <laughs> so, so basically, it's like every other Friday night. Weekend <laughs> party time. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we're having, also, a, we're having a great time. Well, it's also uh, although, um, as most people know, we record these podcasts on Friday, and we usually release it on Sunday or Monday. Um, and today is Sean's birthday, so he is 21 years old. Yes, times something else, but yeah, <laughs> today is my birthday. Thank you. Um, and my my, we've had a great day. Uh, my my uh, my my sons got me some incredible presents, and uh, my students as well. Um, I'm I'm really excited. You know, I. Uh, I got a, a nice T-shirt from my from my buddy Bob and um, my my two guys from the Boston area, Seth and Chris. How, and how's this for a cool present, dude? They got me an original press Ramones album from like the nineteen seventies. Really. Which is fucking awesome! Wow, that is incredible, man. That is amazing. Which which album is it? You know what? It's on my dining room table. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, if I can, write, I do have a picture of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna look here. And um, they also got me a month's worth of guitar lessons. No kidding. And did did I uh, see correctly that you also are now in the possession of a ukulele? I am. My son John bought me a ukulele. As as some of the listeners may know or may not know, I like to play uh, guitar. And um, along with that, I want to you know learn all the stringed instruments. So I, I'm, I've been saying I want a ukulele and a banjo and every other white trash piece of shit thing I can get. And and um, I, uh, I no, so I've been wanting to try out the ukulele. And um, so my son John bought me a ukulele, and uh, awesome. that's oh I'm having so I've been playing with it a little bit today. 
And my son Nick got me a, a, a music stand for the sheet music. Oh, that's great. So that when I play, you know, they know what I like. I'm really into music. And Well, you know, when you when you get a banjo and learn how to play the banjo, we should open every podcast. Yeah, with the dueling banjos or whatever from, what is that movie, Deliverance? Right, Deliverance, right. <laughs> also known as a typical Saturday night in the Madigan household. <laughs> Squeal like a pig. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, speaking of the Ramones, one time I was flying back from Seattle. I was taking like a uh, uh, like a red eye flight, and like one of the Ramones, I think it was Marky Ramone, was sitting right next to me. It was like so weird because he's you know clear like I don't know if they're still touring or what they're doing or whatever, but he's still dressed like a Ramone. Right, 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 right. And and you see, and I saw him, and I was like, oh my god, that's one of the Ramones. I, I went on my phone, looked up, and I'm like, okay, that's um, I guess Marky Ramone. And then I just sat next to him, and it was just kind of like, so you're in the Ramones, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like kind of the most Captain Obvious thing to say to somebody because like you look at these guys, and they all have like the same haircut, they all look exactly the same, and it's like you know, it was like if a, if a member of Devo was sitting next to you with the red hat on, you know, right, right, right. So you're in Devo, right? So yeah, <laughs> one of those things. So I, I, I yeah. actually have a picture of me sitting on the stage at CBGBs while the Ramones are playing. No kidding. So now, what? If you like, the the questions that you know I'm begging to answer, I just don't know how the fuck was I on the stage, and why was nobody throwing me off the stage? <laughs> well, how, how how old were you uh, in that photo? I'm thinking it, it can't be more than nineteen or twenty. I right, so it was like a, it was like a couple years ago. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, and um, and I'm sitting on the stage drinking um, an iced beverage, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, my hair's a little long, and I'm wearing a leather jacket, and and uh, I used to hang out at CBGB's once in a while. So, well, if you find that photo, uh, is it on Facebook? You should post it. It's not on Facebook for a I reason. Love to see it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the underage drinking. Come on, no one's gonna. You're not gonna get in trouble for that retroactively. <laughs> At least not yet. Maybe Trump will change the laws eventually, and you know, <laughs> one, one or two of them. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Well, hey, enough enough of these shenanigans. Sure, I think everyone is tuned in because they want to hear our fourth topic of this season, which is the wooden the wooden dummy, <laughs> aka the Sean. <laughs> for listeners to our past podcasts, you know that we have reference for that. So yeah, well. Again, the response has been really great. My, you know, people have been coming up to me, listening to the podcast, uh, seem to really be responding positively to the format of basically taking one theme per episode and kind of, you know, going into it in a little bit more detail. I also find that it's a little bit easier for us to do, too, because we're a little bit more focused in terms of what we're talking about. And um, we tend to kind of follow an idea thread a little more thoroughly when we do it this way. Yeah. And, you know, um there's two things I want to address real quick about this. Is although the, the feedback has been incredible on these um, this form series podcast now, some of my uh, some of the, the JKD people out there have, have expressed a uh, they wish we talk a little you know go back to talking JKD a little bit. And I told them just a couple more episodes of all Wing Chun, and then we will be you know interspersing JKD and with our. It'll be more a little balance between Wing Chun and JKD. But if you're into JKD, everything we're covering Wing Chun-wise should help you. So uh, uh, pull the pull the panties out of your ass and 
and stop being like, but it doesn't have a Jeek and Doe logo on it. Fucking bullshit. And and learn something. And uh, you should be happy because Wing Chun has a lot to offer. A lot to offer. And um, I think this idea of among some, not all, among some Jeek and Doers that, uh, well, I know how to do trapping, so I know Wing Chun. Please hit you in the fucking face with a brick. Um... There's more to Wing Chun than trapping. And if your impression of Wing Chun is, well, that's where we get Pox out from, hit yourself in the other side of your head with the fucking brick and, and listen up to what's going on here. So just because we're talking Wing Chun, it's no reason for JKD people to, uh, to zone out over this. And the other thing I want to address is um, some folks, some absolutely good friends of mine and well-meaning folks, are... Not upset, but they want more lineages represented on the podcast. And and, and I, I perfectly understand what they're saying, but the fact of the matter is, is, you know, Alex and I, neither one of us are really on here representing a lineage. It's not like Alex is the official representative of Wing Chun of WT, and I am for shit sure not the fucking official representative of Moy Out Wing Chun. I'm about as far down on that fucking totem pole as you can get. So... <laughs> So it's, but we can only speak from our experiences. We have had on people from other different lineages, and we've only had one co-host ever on the show, and he is a uh, he he practices and teaches um, TWC William Chung's lineage. We've had um, Jim Roslando. It's not, not even from the Yip Man line. It's not even from the Yip Man line. We've had um, David Peterson from Wong Shang Lung. So we've had other lineages on the show. And I absolutely encourage this. And I don't mean this to be a dick. I absolutely encourage. If you have something to say, start a podcast. The more podcasts out there, the better it is for all of us. Start a podcast. Get your word out there. Uh, Alex and I will help you with your podcast. We want podcasts to become huge. We want the whole life. We want people listening to podcasts. So if you feel like your, your your lineage is not being represented, get out there and start a podcast, man. It's awesome. It's fun. Alex and I have so much fun doing this shit <coughs> and and talking. And we will try and get more people on as it goes. You know, as we go along. But we're. And I know that sounds so fucking snobby. We don't. Uh, we're very selective as to who we let on the show, and why? Because we fucking love this thing. We absolutely love this podcast. And a lot of people, while being incredibly informative and excellent instructors and and very knowledgeable, are not used to speaking into a microphone for an hour. And you, you got to find that rare that rare commodity of a guy who can speak into a microphone for an hour. Be lighthearted, be funny, be informative, and it's not easy. So that's why we don't have a ton of guests on. So I highly encourage other people to have podcasts. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's actually great that you said that. Um, I I totally agree. We get um, yeah, we get a number of requests for people who want to be on the show as either co-hosts or guests or whatever. But uh, the truth of the matter is, um, and I hope <laughs> that if people don't see it already, I hope. I would implore them to start looking at it a little bit differently and maybe even go back to some of the older podcasts and listen to them a little bit differently. The interesting conversations in Wing Chun are not whether 
uh, the Moyat Tansel is done a certain way, and the Long Ting Tansel does it this way, but the William Chang lineage does it that way, and then this guy does it that way. Like those conversations are absolutely not interesting. And also, in the context of an audio podcast, they're also kind of pointless. So you know, for us to talk about the differences in Bongsao and the and that between the various lineages and stuff are not really well represented in an audio format podcast. And the conversations that Sean and I have, I mean, first of all, not only is Sean a, a Jeet Kune Do um, expert with a ukulele, <laughs> um, but also we, we both come from two different Wing Chun lineages and what we're trying, although it's originally from the Yip Man stream, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to discuss the concepts the ideas, the things that we have in common, the things that might be different, training methods, and most of all, the culture of Wing Chun and Chinese martial arts in the present day, which is far more exciting than, oh, well, in our style, we do bong sao with the, with the wrist bent because of blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, but we do it with the I mean, if there's any way uh, to get our audience to fall asleep faster than giving them a sleeping pill, that would be the prescription for it. So we want to make sure that the conversations we have uh, go beyond, you know, differences in wrist angles in Paxao and footwork and things like that and, and kind of go to the nitty gritty of what's actually important. And the podcast is also not a platform for people to promote their own personal lineages, as Sean and I certainly don't seem to do. <laughs> right. And, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I realize, folks, that we, we tend to talk on – we talk about tend to talk about things that um, principles and concepts that run throughout the lineages, as opposed to what separates the lineages. That's where we try and keep the conversation. I mean, sometimes it comes up, but for the most part, we try and talk talk in terms of things that you'll find in almost all lineages. Absolutely. So wooden dummy, man. So wooden dummy is kind of a big deal in Wing Chun. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, man. I mean, fucking Jackie Chan invented it, didn't he? <laughs> you know what's funny? The, the the wooden dummy is a really interesting thing because um, if you just uh, and and uh, and I mentioned this, I think on one of the very early podcasts, you know, because we have a, a pretty big social media presence, and so we've posted different things, and we know what does well and what you know doesn't do as well. You know, in in the old days, I post like a group photo or so, or a photo of me doing maybe some cheese hour action or something with a student, and we'd get a bunch of likes. But then one time we just posted a photo of the wooden dummy in the school with no one on. It was like it was just like an artistic representation of the wooden dummy. And the thing got like a thousand likes <laughs> and, <laughs> and nobody was even on the dummy doing something. It was just like there, there's a certain mystique with it because it's a it's an iconic piece of training equipment. And then when people think about uh, representations in media like Jackie Chan and Rumble in the Bronx or in some of those movies where somebody goes on that thing or no retreat, no surrender. Somebody's on the wooden dummy whacking away or like the opening scene of The Last Dragon. It's like it's this iconic kung fu tool that people have seen. And, you know, for somebody to go on it and do a bunch of clackety clack and make the thing make a bunch of sounds or whatever seems to get people really hot and bothered. And as a result, it's kind of both a blessing and a curse of true proper Wing Chun for that reason. What do you think? Well, first of all, we got to make sure we're specific. When he says clackety clack, that's not till the sixth set. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's I mean, the the wooden dummy seems to be uh, something that everybody kind of like uh, finds as this, uh, this romantic idol thing. It's that they like, oh my god, I love the dummy. Uh, Alex probably gets ten times more calls than I, oh, ten times, a hundred times more calls than I do. 
But I get a lot of messages from people asking if I could teach them the uh, wooden dummy and 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 the and the knives. Right. And uh, you know, it's the, bu- the buffet line approach to learning Wing Chun. Right. Exactly. Right. I, you know, and I'm not going to say that I that, that didn't affect me. I know when I many years ago, 20 years ago, I um, I trained in a Jeet Kune Do school, and um, they had a uh, they had a dummy. And in the, in the in the corner in the hallway actually, and um, I used to take privates so I could learn the uh, the dummy sets. Mm-hmm. And um, it was cool when I started taking Wing Chun, and I learned them correctly. And, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was it, you know I, I was like oh man I got to learn that so I, I I could you know I took private lessons just to learn the dummy sets and I and 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 it, it was fun you know and I know everybody just kind of loves it you know. It's a uh, it's a sexy thing. It Much is like a very myself. sexy thing. <laughs> Live very, feeling confident on your birthday. <laughs> hey man, I'm 52 years old. I'm fat and I'm sexy as fuck, man. I'm having a great day, man. That's awesome. That's fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, I, I remember. Uh, obviously, when when I was a teenager, I was also quite attracted to the wooden dummy for for a couple reasons. Um, one, I remember seeing it in films like The Last Dragon and, and you know, like seeing it in movies that I, I grew up watching. And I also remember, you know, being such a Bruce Lee fan since early on, seeing the wooden dummy in like uh, Bruce Lee's fighting method books and mm. just seeing that equipment and seeing his modified dummy and seeing Bruce Lee work on it and just thinking like, wow, the thing just looks so cool. And in the 80s, sorry, in the, in the 90s, when I started learning Wing Chun in Seattle, it was that non-classical Wing Chun style that was originally from, you know, Bruce Lee's early students. We didn't even train the forms. We basically just did the, what I, what I guess termed pre-Jeet Kune Do era Bruce Lee stuff, right? Right, right, sure. And it was definitely closer to Wing Chun, but it was not quite Jeet Kune Do yet. Um, and that, that was really cool. And that was actually my first formal exposure to wooden dummy training. So they did different sets and, and, and basically modified the stuff that Bruce Lee taught them. And they did it on the dummy. So um, it was very different. The stance was different. It was not the traditional form. But it was solid, qualified instruction. Like I was working on it. And, you know, I knew what to do on the dummy for lack of a better um, uh, idea or whatever. I, I could do something on it. But... I also knew that there was like a traditional wooden dummy form and I really wanted to learn that. So as a teenager, I saved up my money and actually bought a wooden dummy. Really? <laughs> because of course, yeah, because uh, you know, that's the most important thing to get when you're a teenager who's got a hard on for Wing Chun. Literally, you get a wooden dummy. And I had a wooden See, dummy in my bedroom. I had sex with girls. <laughs> We're not gonna get. We're not gonna. Get I'm just saying. You know. So, so anyway, I got the wooden dummy, and then of course I I could practice the stuff that I learned in the non-classical Wing Chun style in there, which were basically short combinations. But I didn't have like a form, so I bought the original uh, Yip Man wooden dummy book, the 116 techniques. The one was co-authored by Lang Tang and Yip Chun, and and taught myself the dummy form out of that book. And, oh, my God, it was like it's so ridiculous because and, and I think because of that training to this day, I can always tell if I see someone on YouTube or whatever who has taught themselves the form from a book or a video, I can tell it right away because I was once that guy. Right. And, and you see, especially if people learn from a poster or a book. The thing that's lacking are the transitions Transitions. between the movements, right? And as anybody knows, when you actually learn the wooden dummy from a qualified instructor, 
a big part of the wooden dummy, perhaps the most major part of the wooden <laughs> dummy, are in fact the transitions between the so-called fixed poses, because right. those are the movements, and how and why you go from one position to the next is essentially the the bulk of what you're learning in the wooden dummy and what you later have to apply with a partner. So when I did the wooden dummy form cobbled together out of Sifu Langting's book, I mean, it ended up looking like some kind of bad flip book that was missing a bunch of the pages in between. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Click, 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 click. <laughs> it was all over the place. But it, it, of course, piqued my interest in learning the more traditional version of Wing Chun. But um, when I look back at it now, you know, some 20 something odd years later from that time, I was totally wasting my time. Right. uh, Although, although in hindsight, nothing was a waste of time because it brought me to, to where I am now. It furthered furthered your love of Wing Chun. Yeah. It furthered my love of Wing Chun made me more interested in learning the traditional one. But in terms of, so, so in that way it had value, but in terms of what I gained as a martial artist, like just skill set wise, I was completely wasting my time. I mean, there. I'm, I, 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 I might as well just have, you know, told my buddy, "Hey, just come over and let's just do some sparring in the backyard instead." I would have gotten a lot more out of my time doing that. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't be until you know much later that I would then formally learn the wooden dummy techniques. I learned the wooden dummy directly from Sifu Lang Teng, uh, both privately and, and in, in instructor classes. So he he was the one who taught me by hand. So uh, that was a huge. A, a, a huge honor compared to teaching myself out of a book at some 20 so some till well, at that time like some 10 years earlier or something like that so um i understand the lore of the wooden dummy i understand why people think it's a sexy piece of equipment and um certainly for that reason it's 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 a major iconic part of the wing chun style um having said that i i i think that the wooden dummy to a certain degree or perhaps to a large degree um both gets not enough credit and due for how genius it is and how important it is and what an important part of the system it is from certain people. And then sometimes it gets way too bogged down in the secret mysticism about the sets and the versions and all that stuff from the the other camp in the group too. So you have like what I call like the wooden dummy is the super secret thing of Wing Chun, the secrecy camp. And the, who gives a crap? It's just a piece of wood, and I'm going to flap my arms on it and just make cool sounds group, of which you have both in Wing Chun. And both, I think, are actually problematic, and most people tend to fall in one of those two camps. Well, one of the things that drives me nuts about the YouTube videos on uh, wooden dummies is not so much the, um, the variations in choreography and things to that effect. It's in the absolute crap that is is passed off as something important and right. they'll look at the camera knowingly and do some fucking piece of bullshit <laughs> and their elbows all fucking flat out and their fucking leg is going one way and the other leg is going the other fucking direction and their their center's all wrong and you're like where the fuck did they come up with this shit at least if you're making up what you're doing, at least make up something that can help you. Right. People make up stuff that just hurts them. And, and there's other people out there that you can tell they have some training. Yeah. And it seems to be an obsession with doing the jong fast. Yes. Like, I don't know why. 
I mean, I, I think it's the Jackie Chan thing. I think it's like that scene from Rumble in the Bronx where he just yeah. goes on the dummy and he starts whacking it away. Like that is – and not that everyone has seen that particular movie, but that representation of what you do on the wooden dummy – seems to be pervasive before people even have a chance to properly learn anything on it. So people are starting with that in mind that that's what you're going to do. And if that's what you want to do, do that. But don't try and do the the actual Jong sets at that speed. Because you're actually hurting yourself. It's counterproductive. Because when you're trying to do the actual Jong sets at that speed, you're fucking up your whole, all your structure. The, the Jong is there to, to tighten up your, your Wing Chun. Not to hurt your Wing Chun. And when you force your way through it, you're actually hurting yourself. You're teaching yourself bad habits. I read in a book many years ago. And it's actually in a book written by Chuck Norris. I don't remember which the name which the name of the book was. Is it like about the inner strength? Yeah, I think it was the inner strength book. Yeah, yeah something. I've read that book too. And he said something to the effect of like, sometimes you have to slow down to go faster. Yeah. And and he gave the example, I believe, well, my interpretation of it was, if you had to try and make a cup of hot tea as fast as you possibly can, sometimes you need to slow down making that tea if you want to make it correctly and still go as fast as you can possibly go. But if you just go slipshodding 100 miles an hour... Half right. the tea is going to be out of the cup. You're going to fucking burn yourself, and you're probably going to knock over the tea bag. Right. You need, and when it comes to the jong, there needs to, this obsession with speed has to stop. Then there should rather be an obsession with center. There should be an obsession with structure of getting your energy centered, centered, get 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 getting your feet properly underneath you. And, and getting your, and not having your elbows either jammed so tight into you or flared out, this this whole idea of, of balance and structure should be the most important thing you're doing on the john, at least in my opinion. Instead of speed, speed, the the, the the speed will come, and you know what? I shouldn't talk. So I'm not fast at all. So maybe I should say maybe speed will come. It still hasn't come for me, but. <laughs> But my 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 my, my jong sets, I feel, are getting better and better because I don't rush through them. I actually give them some thought. Right. And uh, I think it, I I watch some people and they just they want to blast through the jong sets so fast, and it's like their feet are way behind their hands and they're moving to the side when they're already back on this part of the jong set. It's like. It's a fucking wreck. It's a train wreck to watch. It's a big, one big fat fucking Wing Chun train wreck. <laughs> so what, uh, I guess one of the things we can discuss is uh, how does the wooden dummy fit in the progression, um, at least in the way, in the Moyat system? So I assume you learn it after Buji. There's some people that teach like the first 60 movements after Chum Q, and then there's some that make you wait until you're done with Buji. How, how do they do it in, in, in the Moyat lineage? In the Moyat lineage, as I learned it, Mukyang um, Zhang is after Buji, mm-hmm. so it's 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 a, the same order that we're doing the uh, the podcast in. Yeah, first form, second form, third form. Mukyang Zhang, Luke Tempun Kwan, Bacham Dao. Right. And um, another little thing I want to mention real quick is um, coming from a JKD background in Jeet Kune Do, It's um, almost everybody refers to it as a Mukyang. 
Mukjang, Mukjang, Mukjang. And I remember when I first met my Sifu, Tom Kagan, and I and I would, you know, would be in conversation with him and keep on referencing Mukjang, Mukjang, Mukjang. And I think it drove him nuts. And then one day he turned around and goes, all right, stop. It's either the Jong or it's Mukyang Jong. Right. But not Mook Jong. Mook Jong, that fucking wooden post over there holding up your, your countertop, that's a Mook Jong. It's like, it's wooden man dummy. That's the difference. Right. You know, the telephone pole outside is a Mook Jong. It's a wooden post. Mook Yang Jong is a wooden, wooden man post. And that's the, so it either called the Jong, the, that, that post over there, or Mook Yang Jong, no longer Mook Jong. And uh, I, it, I guess being yelled at by a teacher over it made it, made it stick in my head. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that's actually uh, true because uh, I remember in the non-classical Wing Chun style, they also called it Muk Jong. And, uh, and, and so maybe that was a Bruce Lee thing. Maybe, maybe he kind of, maybe he called it that or cut it short or he yeah. just was like, whatever these, these, these non-Chinese don't know what the hell they're saying anyway. Um, yeah. Say because Guaylo? Yeah, because uh, it's uh, literally means wooden man post. Zong means post, just like, like like Sean said, like a like a telephone post or something like that. Um, just like the tripodal dummy, the one where we use for kicking, is called Samsung Zong, which is a three star dummy, or sometimes called Gak Zong. I believe in Moyat lineage they call it Gak Zong. Right. Right, so it can be Gak Zong or Samsung Zong, and then the wooden dummy is Mokyan Zong, because literally, if you just say Mok Zong. That just means wood post, so it could be like a telephone pole. Mok'ok <laughs> is wooden house, which means log cabin. <laughs> so you have to put a qualify in there. Mok'yan. Yan, yan means perfect uh, person. Mok'yan. Chong. Mok'yan. Chong. Uh, wooden man post. So in in the WT lineage, it's the same as in the Moyat lineage. And I believe that most um, most uh, Yip Man lineages do teach it in Siyunam Tao Chamkyu Byuji, then wooden dummy. Um there are a couple lineages. I know, for example, the Wong Sunung lineage is that way that after you learn Chumkyu, you learn like the first 60 movements of the wooden dummy um, because the first 60 movements of wooden dummy, essentially most of those movements come from the first two forms. And then you learn Buji. And then after Buji, you learn the last part of the wooden dummy. So I know that there's uh, there, there are some within the Yip Man stream that do it that way. Um, but yeah, I'm actually, we teach it in the same, same way that you guys do it. Um, I also know from what I've heard from a number of Grandmaster Yip Man's early period students is that, um, during the time period where Grandmaster Yip Man had some personal troubles, right. Uh, and that he was not able to teach all the time because he had some things going on and he sometimes had to hand over the classes to the, the senior assistants. And, and at that time period, he lost a number of students because, he wasn't teaching very well. <clears throat> he wasn't always there. Some people were very dissatisfied. So there was a point in the middle period of his teaching career where, um, and of course, I've heard I've heard this from three different sources. Uh, but um, again, these are just stories. You can take them for what they are. They may or may not be true. Who cares? I'm just telling the stories. I'm not endorsing them. Okay, uh, that during the middle period, because Grandmaster Yip Man had lost a number of students because of these problems that he was having, he would sometimes teach some of the advanced techniques to his students to kind of keep them interested on the hook. Like, okay, I don't want you to leave. So here, come over to the dummy. And then they would show them some stuff on the wooden dummy. And then this is the reason why perhaps a number of Grandmaster Yip Man students seem to. So when you look at the 
the huge diaspora of wooden dummy forms out there that are all under the so-called Yip Man banner. And of course, I, I can't discuss wooden dummy forms outside of the Yip Man lineage, uh, Yun Kei-san or, or, or any of those other styles. Like I, I'm, this, In this podcast, you're not going to hear that from me. We'll have to bring somebody else to discuss that. I can only discuss the Yip Man lineage to whatever limited understanding I have of it. Um, it seems that of all the people who profess, of Yip Man students who profess to teach the wooden dummy form, it's the first part of the wooden dummy form that's the most similar. So, like, if you look across the board, most people, like, the first few sets, even if the details are a little bit different, but the sets are kind of similar in arrangement. It's the second half of the form where you start to see a lot of variation, which is very similar problem in the Batando. Um, so it's quite possible that Grandmaster Yitman had taught a number of students the first half of the form, trying to keep them on board and trying to keep them from quitting. All right. And the last half of the form, which contains a lot of the very in, important or advanced techniques traditionally in the form, he still would have reserved that. But a lot of people may have learned the first part and perhaps they would have taught them. They would have learned the second half from a Sihang or maybe they even made it up or who knows where they got it from. But that's why you see such a, a disparate, so many disparate versions in terms of the second half of the form compared to the first half. That's one of the prevailing theories. Uh, again, I'm not endorsing it or whatever. I'm just saying that this is something that I've heard from a number of uh, relatively uh, um, qualified people on, on this subject here. So that, that's just something I want to say about that. Um, also, I think we need to discuss for people who may not be coming from a traditional background, when we're talking about the wooden dummy techniques, okay, we're talking about the formal movements in the form, okay? So in traditional Wing Chun, there, there's an actual wooden dummy set, like we discussed, that comes after the Buji form. And that wooden dummy set is a set form, and then those movements in the form are then taught with a partner, either through chi sao or through sparring or through fighting or in some kind of drills or whatever, so they can apply that against the most important thing, which is a live human being. Uh, I'm not talking about what you often see, forgive me if I'm wrong, some Jeet Kune Do people or even some non-Wing Chun people who use the wooden dummy just as a training tool. So you have people who, who they go up to the wooden dummy and they just do bong sao, lap sao, back fist, and they put a pad on the dummy, and they do bong lap, back fist, and they do pak sao, and they do a kick to the leg, and then they do a kick and an entry with pak sao. These are people who are just kind of doing techniques on a wooden dummy. And that's not what we're talking about at all. We're actually talking about the formal techniques of the Yip Man Wing Chun system as taught on the wooden dummy. We're not talking about using the thing as a as a some kind of uh, boxing training with with arms on it kind of thing, right? So I just wanted to make that clear. Um, and that's um, yeah, that was my my, uh, my you know my take on that. Another, one of the things I want to mention is that, and, and again, folks, Alex and I have never discussed this before, so if we disagree. It's I'm finding out as you find out. Um, I don't believe it's a conditioning tool. I I don't I should say I don't look at it as a conditioning tool. I uh, one of the frustrating things I hear often with Jeet Kune Do people is that they. They, they, they do the jong to harden up and condition their forearms and so that they won't get hurt from other arms when they're, you know, punching and things to that effect. And then in the same conversation, if you ask them why they do chi sao, they say it's to make their arms more sensitive to the touch. Well, you know what, folks? That's a contradiction. If, you, if you're spending an hour 
doing chi sao to become more sensitive to feeling, and then taking your forearm and banging it against a piece of wood to deaden the skin, you're a fucking moron. So, so it's either one or the other. So will there, will some conditioning happen? Sure, but I don't think that's the intent. You know, Alex and I, maybe we should discuss what we look to be the intent of the form. I, I look at the... Um, yeah, I have that as the next topic, actually. Oh, okay, so we'll move on to that soon. But I, I, I will say that, in my opinion, the intent of the form is not as a conditioning tool. And 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 to to support my argument is that she, that Wing Chun spends so much time with, uh, for lack of a better term, sensitivity drills... Chi Sao being primarily, you know, the number one, that to, to sit there and say, okay, well, now after you're getting, you've gotten good at Chi Sao, we're going to make you slam your arm against a hunk of wood so that you have no feeling from the fucking shoulder down. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, do you agree? Disagree, Alex? What do you think? Uh, actually, I completely agree with you. When, when I first started learning the wooden dummy from the non-classical Wing Chun style, it was essentially more of a conditioning tool. We were doing technical drills and exercises, but yeah, it was, it, it was one of the directives was to build, you know, forearm conditioning and make your forearms more impervious to, uh, uh, you know, you know, dealing with getting slammed by an incoming kick or punch or something like that. And there seems to be a kind of a, a fetish in Chinese martial arts in general, because um, when you look at the conversations that you see in modern martial arts, okay, for example, let's say kickboxing or boxing, right? They're talking about timing and distance and punching and, okay, how hard can you hit the bag? And then when you do the focus mitts, how hard can you hit the mitts? And these are quantifiable things. You can, you can put it on a graph. You can, you can discuss a number of training methods to say, okay, my punch it's kind of like not the strongest right now. And I want to get it where it has a crack. It's really sharp, really fast. And I can feel that I can really knock somebody down. So a modern martial artist will hit the heavy bag and they'll do different training exercises to improve the power and the accuracy of the punch. Very few modern martial artists, including those who fight professionally. I've never heard anybody spend any amount of time worrying about their forearms being hard enough to handle the fight. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've not seen an MMA fighter go and take an iron bar right. and just, you know, and when he's not training or, or she's not training, not doing boxing, sparring, grappling, jujitsu, whatever, they're in the corner with an iron roll banging on their forearm to try to make the forearm more impervious, right? That's something you see Kung Fu people doing. And, and not as much in Wing Chun. There are some Wing Chun people who do that, certainly in the other Kung Fu styles, you know, and they're... They're banging away, hitting on their forearm, and then you know they're hitting a metal thing with their with their fist or whatever, with the idea that they're going to make their forearms and limbs, you know, impervious to to kind of pain. And when you think about, we have a limited amount of time on this earth. If you have a normal job, you have a limited amount of time in your day. So you may only have a certain number of hours in the week to train your martial art. In terms of the hierarchy of important things to practice, okay, depending now, everyone does martial arts for different reasons. Not everybody wants to fight or whatever. But in terms of the things that one might want to have to defend themselves or to be able to use a style, forearm conditioning, 
I would rank that pretty low in that hierarchy. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and the inordinate amount of time that Kung Fu people are spending doing Iron Palm and this Iron Forearm and Iron Shin and all this kind of stuff just so that they can do some hokey demonstration compared to some kid who goes into a boxing gym and from day one is learning head movement against punches and hitting pads and learning footwork and distance and timing. Um, I, I tend to feel that the Kung Fu guy is kind of wasting their time. Now, I 100% agree with you on the point that if we're supposed to learn how to absorb incoming force and redirect and move and stick and whatever, then what are we doing dulling our forearms against a piece of wood? And whether somebody wants to believe the legend of Yim Wing Chun, you know, whether Wing Chun really came from a woman or not, that's completely debatable. But if we look at it as a lesson, okay, so if, if the the legend is that Wing Chun comes from a woman, then what is the important lesson there? That we are trying to learn to use our art against bigger, stronger attackers. And I don't think the strategy against bigger, stronger attackers is to spend all your time dulling your forearms so you can block their punch with some kind of iron, you know, uh, a blocking technique or iron tansel, right? So it seems a bit spurious that forearm conditioning would be a main directive of the wooden dummy. Now, like you said, if you practice the wooden dummy for years and your timing and your your movement and coordinating your body and your arms together, certainly there's an effect there where you're able to um, release the power in the right time and, and you can perhaps hit the dummy with your forearm harder than somebody who doesn't practice wooden dummy. But right. that is like a natural kind of like, you know, like the water slowly bending the rock over the course of many years. It's a very gradual thing that is more a side effect and not necessarily the main directive. Right. right. So um, I, I tend to feel that all these kind of traditional conditioning things that people like to spend their time doing would be they their time would be far better spent if they just did chisel sparring footwork shadow boxing whatever um, <laughs> and, and just trying to deaden their forearms or shin against a piece of wood so um yeah i totally agree with you that you know if somebody wants to whack on their elbows and and, and shins and forearms on a wooden dummy as a training tool i mean more power to them we're not saying that it's wrong just talking about it in the general progression of classical wing chun for lack of a better term it just, it just seems to be counterproductive yeah absolutely um what about the sets how does how does your lineage divide up the sets of the form the right way (laughs) which is (laughs) um i'm I'm not sure what you mean like i you know uh we have one two three four five we have a bunch of sets and (laughs) That was, a, that was a very scientific. You can see Sean's scientific mind at work. We have one, two. We have a bunch of sets. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm actually tired today. Once I have got to five. He couldn't count anymore. I was just like, I, I sat, you know what? When I got the five, I was like, okay, I have to write them words. The idea, of how it's how it's thought was, is that this the, you, we learn the form as um, I'm going to say one long form, but as Alex is going to explain, it's broken down into many sets, right? I, like, I don't know if it's uh, eight sets, 11 sets. And it's, I have to think about it. I actually don't know the answer off the top of my head. Um, I should, but I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, you learn it as a little, in little bunches, these sets. And Lisa, as how it was explained to me, is that the, that the, the John form, the whole 116 movement, 108 movement, whatever the Tug of War one's number is, it's not meant to be practiced that way. It's, 
it's learned this way to, for memorization and for passing on. But once it's learned and passed on, this is why I don't have the number in my head, you take these little individual sets and just work them. At least that's how we do it. If the idea is to just say, okay, I'm going to work this little part of the form, boom, 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 and practice that little part of the form to make sure that I have the angles correct, that I have the facing correct, that I'm, I'm deflecting and not blocking things, you know, in a hard style block. You know, it's um, teaching me to have, you know, get kind of control of my body and make sure that, you know, my, my facing is correct and things to that effect. And it's, you get better at that thing, at that idea, by doing one set over and over and over and over and over again, rather than going through the whole form, 108 movements, 160 movements, then doing it again, then doing it again. It's the idea is after you learn it that you can pass it down and you know the whole thing, now you take little sections of it and just play those little sections. And uh, so the answer to your question was, I don't know, I don't know exactly how many sets there are. But. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a great answer. I mean, I, I think that what you just said is, is actually the case with all the forms because uh, uh, the, the forms are meant to be learned in some kind of linear way so that the student has all the movements. But if, if you look at, for example, to go back to the Siunam Tao, when you do the opening set, whether you have Tanzao and Gansao and, and bring your hands back up, whatever variation that is, that's not nearly enough reps to get good at that. Move. Right, exactly right. right. So, so I think people think sometimes like if they just run through the Siunam Tao form one time or Chumki form one time or whatever form one time, okay, then they've trained it. Well, no, you've actually just practiced the set list. You've practiced right. the, the list of movements that you need to get good at, but the forms don't although certain things are repeated in the forms for sure, but there are not nearly enough repetitions in the form to get good at anything. So um, I think what you just said could actually be applied to all the forms. You know, you could just stand in front of the mirror and just do the punch and the hun cell and retract like in the, in the opening sets of the forms and just do that again and again and again and again. So you got that down and you can focus all of your thought on that. Same thing with the wooden dummy. You can do one movement, two movements or a combination or a short set and just practice that again and again because the form in its entirety acts like a Rolodex or, or like a, a set list because it's a lot easier for us to remember things when they're strung together in a logical sequence. If I gave you 10 random words to memorize, it'd be very difficult. But if I put those 10 words into a sentence, even if the sentence didn't have a lot of meaning, you would still remember it much better than 10 random words given to you on a list. So I think that's the utility of the forms more than – the you know to use my other analogy then the sentence itself it's like the sentence just helps you remember the individual words and it's the individual words that you need to learn and you need to master um in the learning system they divide the wooden dummy into eight sets so right. uh yeah. it's, it's eight clean sets and um well we use 116 wooden dummy techniques which seems to be the way that grandmaster yip man had edited the form after 1966 so he, the form went through a number of transitions over time. If you look at the early period sets, the middle period, um, there, there, were, there were a lot of changes. And it seemed that um, at the time that he did the 1967 Tang Sang footage, which is also the photo series of Wooden Dummy on the Yip Man. Uh, Wooden Dummy on the Yip Man. Did you hear me? It's also late for me, too. <laughs> of, of Yip Man on the Wooden Dummy, the famous photo series, uh, the black and white set, which was shot by Tang Sang. That, by the way, was shot on the same day that Tang Sang 
did an eight millimeter film of Yip Man doing the film with forms and the wooden dummies, you know, tell Chumkyu, and also the long pole. Uh, and I've discussed that that video on on previous podcasts. Uh, it was the same day. Um, it seems that at least at that time when he was teaching Tang Sang, so he started teaching Tang Sang around 1964, that w- 116 wooden dummy version is what he presented to him two years later. So it had to be around the mid-60s that, that Yip Man then, um, I guess, settled on that number and settled on that version. Now, I think part of the problem is, and, and from what I've discussed with other latter period students of Yip Man, is that... Um, because the last part of the wooden dummy is the most coveted because it has the the most the kicks the advanced kicks the footwork all that kind of stuff and he did not teach it all the time because that only went to the more loyal students so to speak i have a feeling that he didn't always keep those sets straight right and so that's why another one of the reasons besides the aforementioned thing about him only teaching the first part to some of his students why he may have constantly re-edited that last part now in the Lengting system, there are eight tactical kicks in the wooden dummy, the, the so-called advanced kicking methods. What's interesting to note about the form, and, it's, and essentially the form that Lengting teaches is the same one that is in the 1967 photo series of, of uh, Yip Man. The only thing is that when Yip Man did the photo series, he, he left out two kicks the, the, the so-called thumbger, which is a funny name because it almost sounds like stupid kick. Thumbger is the scraping kick. And not all of Yip Man's students learned it. I've seen the Moyat form. Moyat has the scraping kick. Right. Wong Sun Leung has the scraping kick. And Leung Ting has the scraping kick. And a few other ones do as well. But for some reason, Yip Man didn't like people to know that kick. It was kind of one of his secret kicks. Oh, okay. So when he did the photo series, he left it out. Hmm. But when he shot the video with Tang Sang, it's in there. So what's interesting is for some reason, like he know he knew that Tang Sang was the only one who was going to have the video. But so he showed it on the video, but he didn't want to show it in the photo series. Right. So I can tell that there are a few prized disciples of Yip Man who learned that kick, and that's the secret missing kick. All right. So when you count that one, there are a total of eight tactical kicks now here's the crazy thing sean because i've done the math because i don't have a life right the wooden dummy has eight kicks all right tactical kicks Mm -hmm. by the time you get to the seventh set okay yes you only have done three of the kicks of the eight wow so that means that five of the eight kicks are in the eighth set. set yeah. That meant he buried it way back there to keep that advanced stuff as far away from most of his students. <laughs> you know, we can say he buried it in there because for anyone who knows a little bit about Wing Chun history, the Yip Man wooden dummy form is clearly his invention and his refinement. Okay. Right. It's most likely similar to what Chan Wasun did, but Grandmaster Yip Man certainly had his hand in changing the form over time. So we really do a version. You practice a version of Yip Man's form. We practice a version of Yip Man's form. But to say that this is the Wing Chun dummy form, um, it doesn't exist. That, that's, that's not the case. Um, so it's just interesting that he buried all the mo- most of the kicks in that last set. So, again, another reason why the eighth set was one of the most coveted, at least in the latter period of his teaching career, which is all I can speak about. I can't speak about the, the early period. Um, Sean, real quick, how are we doing on time? Uh, we're, we're coming up on the end there soon. 
So uh, like another 10 I guess minutes? About another 10 minutes. Okay, because I, I just wanted to make sure because it's, it's easy to go on and on about this. Yeah, no, I know. And you need to get back to your party downstairs. <laughs> party! So, um, yeah, so basically that's kind of how how it's divided. So I think in, in the Moyat lineages, in the Lengting lineage, the wooden dummy is regarded to a certain degree as uh, something advanced, something a bit... I don't like the word secret because people can learn it when they learn right. it. They learn it openly. But would you agree that it's essentially an advanced tool in Wing Chun in terms of, and I'm not talking about the dummy itself. I'm talking about the techniques you learn on the dummy. Oh, absolutely. And I, I well, there's, there's a lot about the dummy that I'm not going to say it's a secret or even advanced, but there, there needs to be a foundation built before you get on the job. You know, if it's, and that's why those techniques are on the those those movements are on the jong, because you need you have, by the time you get to that you have the proper foundation in place in order to to work them on a jong. If you do not have the proper foundation in place and then you just start off on the jong, the jong will hurt you rather than help you. And when I say hurt you, I don't mean cause black and blues and hurt you. I mean it'll hurt your structure. It'll hurt your angles. It'll hurt what you're doing. It'll hurt your progression. That there's a reason the jong is taught later on and not because it's the cool thing. The jong is taught later on because you need to have the proper structure and be able to move fluidly without losing structure and balance, um, a, a skill you'll learn in chum cue, before you get on the jong. If you do not learn this skill in chum cue and in, in, in buji and, and, and start working on a jong, the use of the jong will destroy your structure. And then, yes, people, I've had people say to me, well, then just working on the jong will, 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 will eventually fix it. No, it'll just make it worse and worse and worse. Because if you don't know how it's supposed to feel, how are you going to know what to go back to? If you don't know what proper structure moving feels like, how are you going to know if you're losing it once you touch a jong? You're going to know what proper structure moving feels like after you've done chum cue a thousand times. Then you're going to be able to turn with proper structure. You're going to be able to step with proper structure and with proper balance. If you do not own this this skill, the minute you touch a jong and start moving around that leg and, and, and trying to line up the most basic tansal da, you're going to be in a wrong angle. Your body's going to be facing. Your body's not going to be facing center. The, your elbow's going to be either too far away or too close to you. You're not going to have the proper structure. So working the jong too soon will hurt your Wing Chun. It will not help your Wing Chun, even if it looks cool. Even if it sounds cool. It's hurting you. And I know, you don't want to hear, I know people don't want to hear that. But it's just the truth. You need to have that proper foundation built before you get on the job. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was funny when you first said the wooden dummy will hurt you. And then I was just thinking, like, imagining somebody in court and then they have a <laughs> of wooden dummies. Show me where the wooden dummy touched you. <laughs> where, that, where the evil dummy touched you, young man. You know, it's funny. It, it, I don't know if you've ever seen there's an old um, there's an old Jackie Chan movie called Wheels on Meals. Uh, it's the first film where he fights Benny the Jet or Kitas at the end. It's an amazing movie. Samuel Hung is in it. Yun Bu's in it. And there's this funny training montage 
uh, at the beginning where he gets up early, uh, Yinbu gets up early and they, you know, they're going to do their martial arts training and they're doing their stretching and their pushups and their, you know, hand walking and all sorts of stuff. And there's a wooden dummy in there and Yinbu is on the wooden dummy and he's doing like, you know, all this kind of wing pseudo wing chun on there. Right. When I saw the movie in the nineties, I thought it was the coolest looking wing chun ever because it was like in view. And now actually that I've learned the wooden dummy and I go back and look at it. I'm like, Oh man, it's like there's one wing chun move and then one nonsense move. And then, right, you know, right, right. and you know, and it's not to say anything bad about Yin Bu or whatever, but these guys weren't Wing Chun guys, and they were just given some choreography by somebody, and they, you know, make it look like something, right? So Yin Bu, you know, he gets up and he's clacking away at the dummy and clack, 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 and he does all this stuff, and then, you know, he's all cool, right? And then he gets off, and then he, you know, he's his towel, and then he goes to the back room to continue his workout, and then Jackie Chan goes up to the dummy and he's like looking at it, and he goes like, ah, oh, and he draws his hands back, and he gets, and then he just does a scissors gonzo on it and then stops and walks away. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's funny because now I feel, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be Yun Bu and, 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 you know, clacking away at the dummy. And now that I've been doing Wing Chun for so many years, I realize I'm totally Jackie Chan's character in that movie. It's like given, given the choice to practice some sparring or cheese out with a live partner right. or hit a wooden dummy, I would take the live partner any day of the week. And, and so I kind of, uh, feel that sentiment like oh i can hit the wooden dummy more later <laughs> right right absolutely absolutely yeah so it, it's interesting like anything else when 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 you go into something and you've done it for a number of years your perspective on it changes completely and my um perspective on the wooden dummy I, i'm a i love practicing the wooden dummy techniques in the context of chiso and sparring with my advanced students far more than I enjoy practicing the form because I just spent so many years doing the form again and again and again, and I still do it. I do the form every week, practice it on regular. I do all my forms every day. Um, but I had done it so much that it, at this point, it doesn't really bring me a whole lot to keep practicing the form so much as I just keep it in practice and keep it tuned up. Um, and, and I feel that my form is much better because I practice the techniques in there with my partner. Um, and, right. and, and can ha- have a chance to actually apply those rather than just doing an empty form on, on a wooden dummy. And, and at the end of the day, that's really the whole point. I, th- I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention at least these two things, one a minor point and the other one a major point. But, again, very basic. Uh, with, with proper instruction on the, the jong, you're going to teach yourself the proper distance to stay away, to stay at. With the jong, with, with with an opponent, that one of the things it works on, it's a static distancing tool that you learn to move without losing distance. Now, it, it becomes a I call it a distance familiarization. <laughs> I don't know where because you got to become familiar with this distance on the jong. So, what's the distance? The distance is that you can perform your techniques, your your, your t- and tactics without jamming yourself up. Yeah, you know, you learn. You learn where can I start my movement from, so that it can hit with proper structure, power, and timing, while not jamming myself up or overextending myself. And this is a distance that you'll learn on the job. The other thing I want to talk about, and I know this is extremely basic, but some people just may not know, Alex, the idea that on most jongs there's three arms and a leg. Never 
think that the, the, the arm that's on one side represents a left arm, or this represents a right arm, it, or it doesn't, it doesn't represent the arm from the elbow to the wrist, or it doesn't, and it doesn't represent the arm from the shoulder to the elbow. It represents everything. It's both a right and left. It's an angle. That's all it is. It can be the outside of the arm, the inside of the arm. It's, it, it can be the inside or the outside of the right arm or the left arm. The center one coming down to you in the center is not necessarily a middle punch to your... Because depending on where you're coming at it, it's just a gate or opening. It's just a, an angle where there could be some sort of obstruction. To, to familiarize yourself with where the probable angles that need to be covered are found. So when people say, oh, well, that, that arm's at the wrong angle for a right arm or for a left arm, get that out of your head. This is any part of the body. It could be the elbow coming at you. It could be any part of the body, the right arm, the left arm, shoulder to the elbow, elbow to the wrist. does not matter. It's just something to touch. Right. Uh, yeah, that's actually a great point. Sifu Langting talked about that a lot. He talked about it in his book, too. He called it the it kind of abstract concept of the wooden dummy, that the, the arms can represent whatever they need to. Uh, so it's not necessarily a man standing in front of you with his arms out like this and you're on the inside. Right, exactly also, right. It could also be diagonal arms. This could be the idea. Like, like you said, it could be wrist to elbow, elbow to shoulder. Also, in, for example, with movements like Quan Cao, that lower arm may not be a punch. It could actually be someone's hand pressing your your arm down. It's 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 a representation of of something that your partner could be doing to you, and those representations change movement to movement and set by set. So sometimes it might even be a, a kick. Sometimes the arms might be your opponent two points on your opponent's body that you're hitting, and you're not hitting the arms at all. Right. So it, it, it's something that um, excellent point. Uh, that with qualified instruction, you will understand that the wooden dummy is, is, is to a certain degree, while it is advanced and it is important in Wing Chun, it is also just a piece of wood. And this piece of wood can represent whatever you need it to, to, to fulfill the goal of learning a certain technique, movement, concept, whatever it is, footwork, angle, something like that. So in that case, it can be looked at as a, a very um, uh, open tool that can be uh, that has a lot of variety to how it can be used. Right. I mean, in, in, and in regards to it being used for any kind of tool that need be done for you, what Alex is not telling you is that when he went to high school, he put a blonde wig on it and some wheels and it went to the prom with him. Well, he, he did more than that. I, I painted in like lipstick on the mouth and stuff like that. You know, you had a blow up, John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I do use my wooden dummy for one, let's say, not standard thing that the wooden dummies normally use for. And this I learned from one of my Hong Kong instructors for long pole training. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, I've seen it. I haven't done yeah, it, but I've you, seen you, it. You can, when, when you don't have a partner to practice Qiguan and, 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 and basic wooden dummy with, you can take one of the arms out of the wooden dummy and jam a long pole in there, and you have a makeshift uh, pole dummy, and that, that works really well. I did that in the early years when I started learning long pole. None of my students were at that level yet, so I didn't. Now tons of my students have learned long pole, so I can just practice with them. Uh, but in those days, I didn't have anybody to practice with, so I, 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 I took my advice of one of my uh, – Hong Kong instructor Sifu Carson Lau, and he told me that's how he used to practice in the early days. And, you know, again, it's just a piece of wood. It can sure. be used, you know, for whatever you need it to. So, yeah, well, that, that was great, man. Uh, I think we covered quite a bit today. Absolutely. It was a good podcast, I think. 
Well, we'll see. You never know. Sometimes we think it's a good podcast, they end up being terrible. Sometimes we think it's terrible, they end up being really good. <laughs> we have to let our audience decide that. Uh, so uh, for, for you guys out there, just want to remind you to like us on Facebook. We have our Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Like us. Share the page. Whenever the episodes come out, we share it on that page as well. If you could reshare those links, get the word out there, let people know uh, that you listen to our podcast. And again, if you guys could write reviews on iTunes or wherever you get the Android podcast, those things are very helpful to uh, let other people know and and to increase the number of people who are listening to this. Again, as always, you guys can send us messages if you have suggestions, ideas. If you don't like Sean's voice, whatever, you can rant as much as oh, possible. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Fuck you then. <laughs> uh, let us know. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, Sean is also on Twitter as well, outside of the Dudes of Kung Fu. I'm on Twitter, too, as well. Uh, so there's plenty of avenues to get a hold of us and, and let us know what you guys think. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'd love to hear feedback on this podcast and the other ones, too. We've got plenty, but we'd love to hear more and any ideas you have for future podcasts. Uh, I'm also now a regular columnist for Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. I have an article coming out in the next one, which is part two of a two-parter on long pole that I wrote, uh, as well as my first column. The column is called The Kung Fu Genius. Nice. And that'll that'll basically just be my, my chance to rant in an open public forum, uh, which is very similar to what I do on this podcast, but I'll just have to do it in writing. Would love for you guys to support Wing Chun Illustrated magazine. Uh, Wing Chun Illustrated, in particular, Eric Lilior, has been a huge supporter of myself, also our podcast, and, and all of our friends, uh, that um, are into Wing Chun and, you know, all of the things that I've promoted for, uh, you know, my books and, and articles I've written. Eric's been absolutely fantastic in supporting us uh, in all those things. And I'm very grateful that he gave me this chance to be a columnist for Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Um, if you guys don't know about Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine, it, you can get it through the Magster app. It's basically an, uh, a magazine, get a subscription. They, they come out every two months. So it's six episodes, uh, six issues a year. And uh, every time they come out, there's lots of great stuff, lots of different Sifus contributing to that. Sifu David Peterson uh, contributes pretty regularly. He's a friend of the podcast. Really, really fantastic stuff. Jim Rosalando as well. Um, you can get print versions of the magazines. It's print on demand. They're a little bit pricey. Uh, the magazine's beautifully... Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's beautifully designed. A- so I, I definitely recommend, even though they're a little pricey, if you actually want to have the magazine in hand, I would recommend ordering those as well. For those of you who don't want to shell out the extra cost for the magazine... Uh, you can get it at a reduced price um, uh, through the subscription, through the app, and I highly recommend that. So check out Wing Chun Illustrated. If you have not done so already, like us, follow us. I actually want to get – I don't know if you can do this. Can can we get a copy of your cover? I I have copies of my cover. You do? I do, I do, because believe it or not, people want me to sign it all the time. But since I was about to say, I want you to sign it. Hang, I want to hang it in my gym. Oh, sure, because the um, because the magazine is mostly virtual, and people have to order the magazine. I've had plenty of people order it, but people are like, oh, I would love to just put it on my wall, but they don't want to waste the magazine. So right. I, I got a bunch of covers. <laughs> so yeah, I can I, I can give those to you. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would I, that would be cool. I would definitely hang that in my gym. Awesome, man, that'd be great. Yeah. When they put you on the cover, it'll be it'll be front and center in my school as well. It's like the, Big Sean, the biggest thing in martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much for the podcast. We will see you guys next week, where we're gonna do the long pole. Oh boy, my pole's longer than Alex's. All right, <laughs> bye bye, folks. Bye bye.